While you're looking up our scripture reading this morning, I'll mention some new changes this morning. Uh, Scripture this morning is from the 1 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 19 to 25. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 292. If you have the large print version in your uh, seat, it's uh, page 436. Or you can look it up on your electronic applications. If I look brighter this morning, if the pastor looks a little brighter, even up at his height, it's because we have some new LED lighting. And it's also around the sanctuary, but particularly up here on the stage. And it is easier to read this morning, so I appreciate it. Also, Everybody remember that after the service this morning at 11.15, we'll have some circles meeting for the first time after the service. So don't forget to join any circles. The Joy class has already met today. We still have the Seekers, the Thrive class, the Connect class, that's the new circle, a Rooted class for middle and high school, and seedlings for elementary. So take advantage of those classes. First Samuel twelve nineteen. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we will not die. For we have added to all of our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, The Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things that he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, we're wrapping up this series, Sinners and Saints, today. And uh, we get to kick off something brand new next week that I'll share with you about in a little bit. But... It's been an interesting series, at least it has been to me. Uh, we've, had, we've talked with saints, we've talked with sinners throughout this thing. We, last week we talked about uh, sinners who want to be saints. And, and this week, a little bit maybe more provocative title, Saints Who Want to Be Sinners. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of a head-scratcher, so let's kind of explain what's going on with this. Now, 
I don't know. I, I don't think any of us is perfect, and I, as your pastor, is certainly not perfect. And, and one of the things that annoys me the most about myself lately, <laughs> if I can just, you know, vent about myself, is, is I'm a night owl, and I know that about myself, but it gets me in trouble a lot of times. And especially since we've had kids, because they, they don't let you hit the snooze button in the morning. And so staying up at night has consequences. And, and yet it just seems like at the end of the day, you know, you finally get the kids in bed and it's just like, ah, oh, some time to myself. And so, you know, I might be uh, doing this, doing that, trying to get something done, you know, whatever. And then the next thing I know, I probably, usually the culprit's like my iPad and I sit down with it and I'm like, you know what I need to check on? I need to Google this or I need to check on this or I need to see, you know, I need to fix this. And so I'm going to find a YouTube video that tells me how to fix this. And then you know how YouTube does. They're like, uh, you know, well, uh, here's another suggested video for you. And I'm like, ooh, you know, I, I don't need to pour a concrete slab, but someday I may need to know how to do that. So why don't I just watch this one too? And, and then, oh, okay, it's time to go to bed, but I guess I better check Facebook real quick and make sure nothing, you know, earth-shattering has happened. And it, just in case no one saw the news on Facebook, let's check the news real fast. And the next thing I know, it's ridiculously late. And I'm like, oh, brother, here we go. So then I try to get out of my chair, and I'm so tired, and I feel miserable. And I know I'm going to feel miserable the next morning. And I look over at Julie, and she's asleep in the chair. Because that girl, she doesn't have to go to bed to go to sleep. She can sleep anywhere. (laughs) She's good. She's out. (laughs) She's happy. She's getting the sleep she needs. I'm over there doing whatever. And, and so I get so mad, and I storm around the house, I get my stuff together, I get in bed. And then the next night, I'm so determined it's not going to happen again, and half the time it happens again. <sighs> and yeah, you know, maybe you don't have that particular issue or flaw in your life, but I, surely you're not perfect either. And sometimes we find that there's a, a difference between what we know to be good for us, and what we know we ought to be doing, and, uh, and then what we actually do. And this is true for Christians as well. In our faith, and in our walk with Christ, there's things that we know that we should be doing, and, and then there's the things that we actually oftentimes do. And there's a phenomenon that it's nothing new, uh, but there's a group of us who we call ourselves Christians, we show up to church sometimes, we identify with Jesus, we uh, say we believe Jesus, and so forth. Uh, And yet we live as if Jesus and God didn't exist. Uh, There's a a, a popular pastor in America that calls that being a Christian atheist. That you believe in God, but you act like you don't. That there's a difference between what you, you know, profess and what you live. And so I want to talk to Christians today who, you know, maybe you fall in that category of saints, and yet your life looks like you want to be a sinner. And I want to suggest to you that trying to straddle both of these paths is impossible. So let's just talk about it a little bit and, and I wrestled this week with what, what scripture passage should I share with you because there's so many in fact you could argue that a good portion maybe even most of scripture is addressed to dear saints who want to be sinners time and again God dealing with people who profess to believe in him 
and yet don't seem to with their lives. And so, I mean, I've thought of Old Testament examples and New Testament examples. There's the whole book of Proverbs that talks about a wise way to live versus a foolish way to live. Jesus himself taught about the wise man does what I say, and in so doing, builds his foundation on solid ground. The the foolish man, he does what he wants to do, whatever's popular, and does not follow and heed my advice, and he's building his life on shifting sand and that's sure to shift and be destroyed. There's so many examples of people that Jesus ran into. And we're going to talk about one in our circles today. There's, uh, there's the Apostle Paul, right? And he, he wrote a famous verse like, uh, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea that we're supposed to be different. That our life is supposed to match up with Jesus, not just our heart, our beliefs, but that our very patterns of ways of life are supposed to match up as well. And then the one that I think maybe was the best fit, but it just seemed a little bit harsh, was from Revelation 3 when Jesus dictates a letter to John. Write this down. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. And I'll just read it to you. It's not our passage today, but... It fits this, and it's just one of many examples. It says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, a.k.a. Jesus, who's dictating. I know your deeds, he says to this church, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That last verse is famous, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door and let me in. And we use that verse a lot of times thinking of sinners, right? Thinking of people outside the church that, you know, Jesus is knocking at your door. If you'll just let him in, he'll come in and and live with you. But this was addressed to saints. This was addressed to a church. And he tells them, I'm knocking at your door. If you'll just open it up, I'll come in and I'll do life with you. You This is supposed to be not just something we say we believe, but something we do with Jesus. He wants to do life with us. He seems to be saying, I would rather you just be a sinner or be a saint. Don't try to do this thing in the middle. It's not possible. But the passage we chose was from 1 Samuel. And I, I thought that was odd because, uh, <laughs> which I picked it, but I still thought it was weird because we've been kind of mostly focusing on what does Jesus have to say about saints and sinners. And yet this lined up so well with what Jesus had to say about it and about this particular topic. And I thought, well, we'll use it. And it's about, about choosing a king for God's people. And of course, 
God's people can only have one true king. And we believe, living where we do now, that Jesus is that king. But a long time before Jesus, about a thousand years, the people of Israel that God had raised up and from which Jesus would ultimately come to rescue all of us, the people of Israel looked around at the other nations surrounding them. And they looked at their history and their present condition. And they said, why don't we have a king like everyone else has a king? Like one that you can actually see. One that you know, carries a sword and rides on a horse in front of the army and, and you know, leads us into battle. Why don't we have that guy? Why don't we have somebody that sits in a grand palace and makes us look impressive because he's there and, and doing his thing, you know, his kingly thing. Everybody else has that. Why don't we have that? And of course, God had always been their king. He had worked through leaders like Moses and Joshua and different judges over the years and the latest, Samuel, this judge and prophet of Israel who, he was the go-between, God and them. But it wasn't good enough for them anymore because they wanted to be like everybody else. And, And so they ask him for a king. And Samuel gets really upset by this and he talks to God about it. And God says, don't worry about it, Samuel. It's not you they are rejecting. It's me. And here's what we're going to do. And so he says, you know, we're going to humor them and, uh, but let them know the consequences for what they're asking. And, uh, and so Samuel lets them know and they choose this king. But part of the deal is that people realized at some point it dawned on them what they had asked for, what they had done, that they had been rejecting God. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. They had messed it up. They had not acted like God's people. And so Samuel addresses them. He says to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. See what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, Don't worry about it. You know, it's not that big a deal. Thanks for apologizing. No, you have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside. For then you would go after futile things, or useless things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. See, the people, they had just wanted to do what everyone else was doing. They had just wanted to be like all the other nations. They had just wanted to do what everyone was doing. They wanted to be like everyone. They wanted to do the popular thing. But what, what, what is popular is not always good. What is popular is usually futile. Because what is popular is usually futile. And we surely must find this to be true in our lives. What's funny to me about this is that 
everyone who's ever been a parent or everyone who's ever cared for a child, uh, we get this when it comes to us and the children. But we don't get it in our spiritual lives as we look to our Heavenly Father. Uh, just We understand that there's many things that people want to do that are not profitable, <laughs> that do not come through, that they're futile at best, oftentimes they're harmful. We understand that many of the things, the urges, the feelings, the, the things that our world glorifies now and is popular, that they're not necessarily what's good for you. We understand this with our kids, right? Mom says to her little three-year-old boy who's climbing up in the chair to put his hand on the hot stove, No! Stop! And the little boy throws a hissy fit, right? Because he can't put his hand on the hot stove. (laughs) And he wants to. And he gets so mad about it. Throws a little tantrum, all because he can't put his hand on the hot stove. Why would mama be so mean? Right? Or, or teenage daughter wants to go out of the house dressed in something kind of scantily, you know what I'm saying? And, and she's going to meet this guy that she met online. And dad says, uh-uh, <laughs> over my dead body. <laughs> right? He says, you are never going to leave this house with that much skin showing. And second, you are never going to leave this house to go out with someone who you've never met, I've never met, uh uh-uh. And then daughter says, well, you don't even know online Eric. He is so sweet and understanding, and he listens to everything I have to say. And right, she's convinced. And dad, you can't even buy anything more modest than this at the store these days. Right? And dad puts his foot down, and daughter throws a fit, and she says, I hate you. Storms up to her room, closes the door. Why is dad so evil in me? Well, it's just because parents like to make up arbitrary rules to make themselves happy, right? It just makes dad feel good to make his daughter so mad. Let me see if I can get her to hate me today. Right? It's because mom just can't stand her three-year-old son having any fun, so she keeps him from touching the stove. Now, we understand this with our kids, that parents put down rules... Because the things that, you know, in the teenage daughter's case, are popular, or the things that look fun and inviting, are often not. And they're often harmful, or at very best, futile. They don't come through. They don't deliver on what they promise. And so parents make rules and enforce rules, hopefully. (laughs) We've got a whole series coming up on that, by the way. That's our next one. We'll talk about it in a minute. But we make rules because... We see what our children do not see in that moment. Their their perception is clouded either by immaturity or by love or whatever the case may be. Hormones, whatever the case is, they can't see it as clearly as we do. We can see what's coming down the track. We can see how this would be harmful for them. And so we lay down the law even though they don't like it. We insist. But then we as adults in the next breath choose to reject something that God says is best in the name of, well, everyone's doing this. God's so out of touch, isn't he? 
with the 21st century. He doesn't understand that this is how people are nowadays. He doesn't understand that in our culture, you, what, what you feel like is best is what is best. In our culture, you know, he just doesn't understand that everyone lives like they're married before they're married. That's just what we do. We try it out first. He doesn't understand that that's all that's on TV and movies. He doesn't understand all this stuff. And so, you know, we, we know better. And we go on and we do what we think is best. And when we're confronted by what God says is best, it's easy to get mad. To push back. To think that God is this arbitrary parent just laying down rules to make himself happy. Let's see if I can just make them mad today. Let's just see if I can make their life as boring as possible today. Let's see if I can just step on their feelings today. Why is it that we can understand this with our kids, but we don't understand it with our Heavenly Father? Is it possible that here, 3,000 years after Samuel, God still looks around and sees His people chasing after what's popular, and He sees it and knows that it's futile, useless, unable to deliver on the, the goods that it says it's going to deliver, unable to profit In fact, he sees that it's going to be harmful. And it's going to have negative consequences in their lives. Samuel says, he said to run from those things, and he says, as far as me, as far as I go, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. As Christians, we have instruction for the good and right way. You have people that pray for you. I'm just one of them. You have people who share the right way. You have the ability, the unique ability in the 21st century to find scripture at the drop of a hat and to read it and to internalize it. You have the opportunity to come and participate and sit in rows and hear from God's word and then sit in circles and talk about God's word. You have these opportunities. You have Jesus They didn't even have Jesus at that point. We have his teachings. We are so blessed. We have the Holy Spirit. And so we can continue to see what is best for us. And Samuel said, just do this. Just do this for me. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider the great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. We have a choice before us. Serve God and live His better way or be swept away by what is popular, by the same tide that is sweeping away this world. But here's the thing. You cannot pursue both the way to life And the way to death. You can't do it. You can't pursue both. You can say that you want the way of life and pursue the way of death. You could even, I suppose, say that you want the way of death and pursue the way of life. I don't know why you'd want to. 
But you cannot actually pursue, live in such a way that you are living towards life or living towards death. It's impossible to go both directions at once. Just like it's impossible to do a low carb diet and the donuts only diet at the same time. (laughs) You can't do it. Not possible. So we have a choice. Which life will we pursue? Jesus, Jesus came preaching life, offering life. Right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the bread of life. He said, whoever lays down their life, or he said he would lay down his life, And if you would too, then you could gain life. John said Jesus was and is life. Jesus described living water, right, that would well up within you and just give you life. He said he came so that you may have life and have it more abundant. There's two different paths that he offers, that God offers consistently. A way to life and a way to death. See, we actually believe, or are supposed to believe, that the way that God lays out to live, even when it's not popular, even when it goes against everything that the media says, everything that your government says, everything that your society says, everything that your boss says, when God says it, We believe it's the best way to live. Even when it makes everyone else mad, even when they don't see eye to eye with you, we believe it's the best way to live. God didn't make a bunch of rules just so he could say, ha ha. Didn't do it. He did it because he believed this is best for your life, but it's bigger than you. It's our whole society. Do you think your bad choices only affect you? Do we think that when this group of people over here sins, it doesn't affect this group of people over here? Sin has crept into our world. We believe that it's permeated every society. And not only societies, but the world and the earth itself have been affected. And Paul says we look forward, just as all creation looks forward, to Jesus coming back, setting everything right, renewing creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And everything will breathe this sigh of relief. Because what sin has corrupted, Jesus will make whole again. And we live in a time where Jesus, even now, is calling us and equipping us with His Holy Spirit to live a way that's different from the way our friends live. From the way our, our peers live. From the way our... Not to, not to hate them. On the contrary. To love them. Right where they're at. But to live in such a way that we're following what God says. Not because we want to be good churchy people and follow all the rules. Not because we want to be a good Christian or whatever. But because God says this is the way that's best to live for you. If you don't, you're going to be living a futile way that will not deliver the goods it promises. And you will be swept away. This is the choice before you. A way to life and a way to death. And Jesus came begging people. Begging sinners in particular, choose life. 
Choose my way. Build your life on a firm foundation. These are not rules that I'm making up to make your life miserable. I'm here to set you free from what's killing you. And to offer you life, better life. And somehow we kid ourselves and think that we're loving someone by approving of things, of a a way to death. of, Of a way that's futile. That's bringing destruction. That's not beneficial to them or to society. We as Christians, we have the great challenge of figuring out how to recognize that someone is not living God's way and yet still love them all the deeper for it. Not to look down on them, not to shame them, not to accuse them, but to love them where they're at and in every opportunity we get to share the hope of Christ for a better life. Some of them may never see it, but we can continue to pray that they will. See, when we learn to view the Jesus way that way, it it changes us, or it should. It, It should wipe away that whole, I'm better than you thing. That looking down our nose at sinners sort of thing. Because one, we remember from where we came. But two, we don't see it as rule breaking. We see it as people who are sick unto death. And Jesus was so many times moved to compassion, pity, sorrow when he looked out and saw a world that was broken and dying. We should have that same heart. And starting with us, we should recognize when we are saying with our mouth that we want to follow Jesus, but with our lives, we're living like we want to follow the patterns of this world, that we want to do what's popular. We have a choice before us. You can't believe what Jesus says and believe what the world preaches because they're preaching two different messages. Just like you can't pursue both the way to life and the way to death. What do we do with this? How do we make up for wrongs in the past? How do we make up for choosing futile ways? I just bring you back to what Samuel said. It's really so simple. That doesn't always make it easy, but it's really just remarkably simple. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil. Remember that verse? You have done all this. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. See, sometimes we feel like, "Ah, I've got to make up for all this stuff. Or I've got to, you know, do 50 Hail Marys, or whatever it is, you know. I've got to figure this stuff out that I did, the feudal stuff. And and the people, you know, they were coming to Samuel and saying, what are we going to do? We're going to die because we've chosen to sin against God. And, And Samuel says, yeah, you've done a lot of evil. Now don't anymore. Yeah, you have been doing this. Now stop and start living for God instead. Start living His way today. 
Don't live in the past. Live into your future. Live His way going forward. Your past may have belonged to sin, but your future belongs to God. Make up your mind today. The New Testament calls that repentance. Turning from the way you were living into His new way. And yes, it seems Scripture would tell us that even the saints sometimes need to recognize ways that we've been living according to the way of death instead of the way of life. And I'm sure that there's going to be days in your life, just like there's days in my life, where we look up at the clock and we see, how did it get this late? Why am I doing this again? I'm such an idiot. (laughs) And there's times in our lives where we we wake up and we look and we say, oh my goodness, why am I living this way when God says to live this way? He says this is the best way. And I've been just doing what's easy and what's popular and what everyone else is doing. We need wake-up calls from time to time. And when we face them, we recognize, yes, I've done all this. Yet now, I'm going to start living God's way. It's called repentance. It's called being transformed. It's called choosing a better way. There's a famous poem. Two roads, right? Diverged in a wood. Do they still learn this in school? Y'all ever heard this? Okay, good. I didn't, I didn't know. I thought maybe... Sometimes I'm getting older by the minute, so I just never know when I'm out of touch. But when I was in school, I had to learn Robert Frost stuff, and I think the generation before me did too. And, and so it's been around a while, and it's good stuff. But two, ro- two roads diversion of wooden eye, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. We're talking about two roads today. Two different roads. We get to choose one or the other, but we can't travel both at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So when God shows us something in our life that's leading to death, or He shows us something we ought to be doing that would be leading to a way of life, then we must respond faithfully and live the way He taught us to live, because we can't pursue both ways at the same time. We can't pursue the way to death and expect life. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. If you're here today and, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is showing you some ways in your life that haven't been His ways, that have not been faithful to the way of life that Jesus taught and offered. If that's you today and that's where you're at and you feel convicted about something in your life, that you feel like, man, I need to start living Jesus' way instead of the world's way. I need to get better at this. I need to leave that in the past and head into the future going God's way. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's where I'm at. There's some things in my life. Yeah. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your way of life. It's a good way of life. It's the best way of life. Thank you for showing it to us. Jesus, thank you for modeling it for us all the way to the cross. We confess that for some crazy reason, even though we 
understand that you're offering us a better life, we still sometimes want to pursue the ways of the culture around us and do what is popular and futile instead of what is right and good. God, help us to choose the narrow path that leads to life. Holy Spirit, convict in our hearts, show us ways that we're living that don't line up with Jesus' way. Transform our minds so that we don't conform to the pattern of this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.